This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Brett Ridgway. He's a 25-year veteran veteran of the speaking industry and author of ABCs of Speaking, Mistakes Authors Make, among other publications. Thank you for joining me today. Well, I'm so happy to be with you, Roman. I look forward to hopefully sharing some tips that will help your followers out. It's a pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. So way back in the, uh, you know, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but uh, I was working for a guy who had an industrial training company. And my actual first job out of college 40 years ago was doing telephone sales of high ticket training programs to various military bases and power plants and all that. And I did that for about, oh gosh, 10, 12 years or whatever. And then the owner of the company decided he wanted to get into some multimedia programs. So I identified a program that I thought would be appropriate. And we created a, a troubleshooter's guide on rolling bearings. So it was aimed at the industrial maintenance niche. And decided that, you know, one program wouldn't a company make, so to speak. So decided to make deals with McGraw-Hill and a bunch of technical publishers. And decided to go online and sell it via website. So I created the actual, actually created the first portal website in the plant engineering and maintenance industry back in 1995. About the same time frame. So I, I was selling videotapes. I'm really dating myself here. Books aimed at plant engineers, maintenance techs, etc. So I was doing product fulfillment out of necessity because of the products that I was selling. Around the same time frame, I also had a joint venture with a guy where I took over his hard-to-find marketing book catalog and put that online, so I was doing product fulfillment for that. Well, because of that relationship, Roman, this guy decided to do, he was going to do his first internet marketing super conference in 1999, and he called me up because of our relationship and asked me if I had to handle the backroom sales table for him. And I honestly didn't even know what backroom sales meant at that time, but I hadn't been to Las Vegas before, so it sounded good to me, so I went out there and help this guy out and doing the backroom sales for him. So that turned in kind of a, a sideline business where I would provide the crew, and in many cases, more importantly, the merchant account that can handle a large sum of money in a short period of time across multiple speakers. And then we just manage all the money in the backroom. So we'd pay the promoter, pay the speakers, and just keep track of all that for them. Because in some of these events, you were running hundreds of thousands of dollars through in a three- or four-day period. And so the money part of it was a... Part of the equation that a lot of the event promoters just didn't want to mess with, so that's why they brought us in. So I got to know as a result of, of handling the back of the room, obviously a lot of speakers are promoters in their own right, and so more and more of them called me up and asked me if I would handle the back of the room for them. So I got to know, know a lot of the big movers and shakers in the internet marketing space 20 years ago. And when one of them found out that I was doing product fulfillment for my own websites, he cornered me at an event in like 2002 or 2003 and said, hey, will you take over some product fulfillment for me? And I'd been thinking about it for a while because it was a natural outgrowth of all the people I had gotten to know in the industry. And so with a business partner, put together a company called Speaker Fulfillment Services back in 2003. And Speaker Fulfillment Services provides 
duplication and fulfillment services for speakers, authors, and information marketers. And so I was happy being the backroom guy, but because I had a unique perspective behind the scenes, both in the backroom and providing product fulfillment for these for these big names, I got to see what speakers do well and what they don't do so well. I, you know, I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly of the industry and all that. Now, I'm pretty much a naturally introverted guy, but I decided finally you know, I need to overcome that and get up on the stage, too, and kind of share some of the things that I had learned along the way. And so about oh, eight, ten years ago, I finally got up the, the gumption to get out in front of the crowd, not just behind the crowd, and start to share some of my knowledge and what I learned along the way. So these days, I primarily work with speakers who are successful in business, but now they want to launch speaking as a second career, and they don't want to do it the wrong way. So that's 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 kind of the backstory. Nice. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, not even if you're introverted, have a, a fear of speaking in public, especially in front of, you know, large crowds or on a stage. I think there's been a survey where people identified that they're more terrified of speaking uh, in public or with a live audience than they are of death. So how did you kind of, I guess, as an introvert or as a human being that everybody kind of thinks about what people are thinking about when, you know, they're up on a stage, how did you kind of overcome it? And what kind of tips can you potentially give to somebody that may be looking to sure. speak, but has been hesitant just based on, you know, voices in their head saying, you know, people aren't going to like what I'm saying, or, you know, I'm not going to sound good or any other kind of thing that hinders you from doing so. Well, I, I'm certainly not the world's most eloquent speaker by any stretch of the imagination. But, I mean, you, you just need to be who you are first and foremost. And, you know, that will resonate with some people and it won't resonate with others. I think the most important thing, honestly, is making sure that you are very solid in the knowledge of what you want to share. I mean, so I mean, they're your stories, they're your perspective on the thing and all that. But you just need to get very, very comfortable with the content that you want to share. And then you're just telling stories and sharing what you know. Now, I will say that it dramatically changes the dynamics of a speaking opportunity when you have a sales component involved in it. All the events that I spoke at primarily, I was delivering content-only sessions. And so there would be multiple speakers, and a lot of them were selling from the platform, but they would intersperse content sessions to you know, give the audience a break, so to speak. And so that, that's what I was delivering was content sessions. When you add the sales component where you're making an offer from the stage, it does dramatically change the dynamics. And it takes a lot of practice in order to be able to, to transition fully smoothly from the content portion of your presentation to the sales portion of your presentation. And I honestly feel the content portion should be like 85% at least of, of what you deliver to the audience. And then you get into the sales portion. But that needs to be a seamless transition. And it takes practice. And I'm not going to say it's a skill that I've fully mastered at this point in time. But it's one of those things where the more and more you do speaking of any type, the nerves will eventually go away. Now, you still might have some butterflies, and that's natural, obviously. But as you get more and more comfortable being up there and just sharing your stories, it does get easier over time, certainly. Yeah, I think that uh, that transition to where you have a offer, you're selling something when you're speaking, it's hard to master that transition because oftentimes I've sat in rooms and the sale has been super awkward and uh, very, uh, I guess, off-putting where it was heavily selling and not necessarily adding value or the content. So I think it is it is an art to do so um, as well. And obviously you've authored several books. How did you finally decide to kind of write your first or what kind of motivated it. And 
obviously the process where you self-published, you know, did you go through a, a publisher? How was that, that process like? Sure. So all the books that I publish have been done with a company called Morgan James. And it's because of a relationship that I had with the founder from back in the early 2000s. And the first book I wrote, Roman, was actually focused on event promoters and speakers. And it was called A View from the Back. And it was about the things that I had witnessed that could derail the success of a speaker's presentation from the back of the room. I mean, little things like banging doors and, you know, not knowing where the dead spot is on stage or, that, or you know, the bad zone where you might create havoc. I mean, all the little things that can basically make you less successful than you'd like to be. And there are obviously fairly little things that you can do to avoid those types of things. I mean, controlling your speaking environment is something that speakers don't always do so well, honestly. I mean, you can't be a hit-and-run speaker and running in at the last minute because there isn't time to really check things out and make sure your PowerPoint or whatever you're using is going to play proper, properly. And, you know, you're, you're putting such a stress on the event promoter when you do that. But it's one of those things where you know, as you get more comfortable, and there, there's lots of mistakes that speakers make. Let's just say it at that. And... You know, one of the biggest ones, honestly, I feel is that most speakers, whether it's in a, a corporate environment or whether, you know, a keynote or whether it's in a platform selling situation, they're very weak on looking at the demographics of their audience ahead of time, figuring out who they're really talking to, what are their pain points, what's really going to resonate with them. I mean, yes, some speakers who are very successful speakers, obviously. But they have a, a canned presentation that they never vary. They're not willing to customize what they do for the particular audience or crowd that they're going to speak, be speaking with. And I think that you know, if you're really going to deliver the full value that you want to as a speaker, you need to customize in some way. Whether it's, you know, you call up the company you're going to be speaking with ahead of time and find out who the movers and shakers are in the crowd. And, you know, what are the boundaries in terms of, you know, calling people out in the crowd or whatever it may be so that, you know, the audience gets a better rapport with you. You know, another thing I think that speakers are very weak at is the being fully prepared to take advantage of the opportunities that do prevent themselves. Several years ago, I was at an event actually, and I, I stand there and, and watched a colleague of mine being carted away in an ambulance. And I looked over to the side and I could see the event promoter basically in a panic state because the person being carted away in the ambulance, fortunately he turned out to be okay, but the person being carted away at that moment was scheduled to be the next speaker on the agenda. So the the promoters over there on me, I'm like, what, what the hell am I going to do? I mean, I got 90 minutes to fill. I don't want to tap dance for 90 minutes, but I need to deliver solid content to my audience to keep up the promises that I made to them in advance about what they would receive at my event. And so that's where as a speaker, you have a great opportunity to be the, you know, the knight in shining armor here and ride in and save the day. So you always need to have what I call a back pocket speech handy so that if that type of scenario comes up, you're the one that can step in and help that promoter out. Obviously, the second speech needs to be related to the primary content of the event. But if you can get up in front of the stage a second time, you're going to build better rapport with that audience. If you're going to be selling from the stage, you'll have a much better chance for success and also, you're going to be the hero for that event promoter because you're the one that came in and helped them out when they were in a pinch. So the next time they do an event, you're most likely going to be one of the people that they think of to come back in and, you know, present for them at another event. So, you know, always have that back pocket speech ready. Now, maybe you'll never need it. 
but it's nice to be available and have it there if you can take advantage of that opportunity. And if you don't have it, then you blew a chance. So, yeah, I think you always should be ready for kind of any opportunity. And as you mentioned, also, I think the importance of networking, as you mentioned, your books were published through, you know, uh, a publishing house where you developed a, a relationship with someone. So you never know what conversation or what relationship can lead to potential business or, you know, potential collaboration. And in terms of kind of speaking, there's a lot of people out there that are experts in, you know, their craft. I'm actually doing one of my first major speaking uh, engagements in 2023 at a podcast conference, which is cool. I've spoken at a few universities and smaller venues, but someone that's kind of looking to get into it. How do they go about in terms of presenting themselves, pitching themselves to potentially, you know, be a, a speaker or, you know, on a panel at a specific event they're looking to uh, to speak at? Yeah, well, obviously, the first thing that any aspiring speaker needs to look at is what model they're going to follow as a speaker. Are they going to be a keynote speaker who, you know, speaks for a fee and then they, you, know, you got to set your rates and you're going to be working with speaker bureaus and all that stuff. And there's pros and cons to that, certainly. And we can touch on that if you'd like. But you got to decide if you're going to be a, a fee speaker or a free speaker, which is what, you know, we call platform sellers these days. And in the platform selling world, obviously, you come and speak on your own nickel. So you pay your own travel expenses typically, but you're going to make your money selling in the back of the room. So if you can develop that skill where you can convert in the back of the room, I'm going to tell you that, by and large, you'll make far more money as a platform seller than you will as a keynote speaker. I mean, I have a colleague who spoke at an event in London a few years ago. And it's a fairly large event, a couple, 3,000 people in the crowd or whatever. But he did $995,000 in sales in a 90-minute presentation. Now, even after you do your traditional 50-50 split with the event promoter, I mean, the guy walked away with nearly half a million dollars for 90 minutes of work. I mean, you're never going to get that kind of keynote fee unless you're a Bill Clinton or, you know, some big name like that type thing. So, I mean, free or fee is the first question you need to answer. And then you touched on it, but relationships, I think, are your most important business asset. I mean, yeah, your website's important. Yeah, you need to have all your marketing collateral. Yeah, you need to have a great signature speech that you could customize and all that. But relationships are where it's at. And so the relationships that you establish are where you should look first to get your name out there in terms of the speaking arena. I mean, I have a company I founded that I mentioned back in 2003 called Speaker Fulfillment Services. And that company was built entirely out of relationships. I mean, we never did pay-per-click advertising. It was going to events, meeting people. And when they found out what we were doing, they were interested in the service. And that became a multi-million dollar company because relationship marketing, essentially. So look at who you know out there in the industry and figure out how you can leverage them, so to speak, to help you out. Now, if you have really built a true relationship with them, they're going to be happy to help you out. But you got to remember relationship capital is something that you need to give and you need to take. If you always go into it from the perspective of, you know, what's in it for me? What can they do for me? Then that's the wrong approach. You need to go in with a what can I do for them attitude first and, and build that relationship. And then over time, that will pay off. The book you mentioned earlier called Mistakes Authors Make became a number one bestseller because of relationships. The people that I had gotten to know in the industry over a 10, 15, 20 year period were more than happy to help out 
when that book launched and, and helped promote it because that they they were my friend. I mean, they we had that relationship and they were people are happy to help friends. So, you know, look at how you can use the relationships that you have in a positive way to help you launch that speaking career. Yeah, and I think it's creating value. It's uh you know, taking advantage of every opportunity, every chance you get to network and if there's a business dealing at all possible, don't burn bridges because you never know where somebody's gonna be in the next role or the company they're gonna found. So I think it's 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 definitely a learning process. And um like you mentioned, I would also agree that speaking for free and getting the right people, your target audience in the room and adding value to them, you can far exceed uh, the potential, you know, earnings you can get from that one session versus a keynote. Yes. Like you mentioned keynotes for like the top keynote, uh, people that charge. Yes. But if you're getting into it, the most value you're going to get right away. And I think over time is the model that you mentioned as well. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, speaking is one of those things where, Yes, you can launch a speaking career with the goal of, of monetizing the speaking, but also you should be using speaking if you're a business owner in any arena as a way to build awareness for you and what you do, whether you're a chiropractor or a lawyer or a dentist or whatever. I mean, if you become a speaker and get known in your local area as the expert or whatever, then the business for your primary services will flow out of that speaking platform that you built. So it's not necessarily about speaking for the sake of speaking. It's about speaking to help support your primary business, whatever it may be. I mean, you may not consider yourself a professional speaker, but you can certainly use speaking as a marketing tool and it should be part of your marketing arsenal. I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? Obviously those motivations may have changed over time, but what currently motivates you to succeed? You know, it's about proving things to myself, honestly. I mean, I'm in the midst of a rebranding, so to speak. I mean, I, I have formally parted ways with this fulfillment company that I founded 20 years ago, and they're going their own way and whatever. So I, I did a fair amount of speaking over the years, but it was always on behalf of the company and trying to build awareness of the company. And for the first time, I'm actually branding Brent Ridgeway as the brand. And so that's a whole different experience. And, I, you know, I've, I've developed an eight-week masterclass that I'll be starting in January about how to build a profitable speaking business. I've written a new book called How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business that Morgan James, again, will be publishing sometime early, hopefully 2023. Uh, but it, it, it's the current drive right now is prove to yourself, Brett Ridgway, that you can do this. I mean, you have things that will help people. So, you know, suck it up, do the things that need to be done and prove to yourself that you have the ability to step out there and help people move themselves ahead. And yes, I, I've seen, you know, probably 2000 different speakers over the course of my speaking career. And so, I, like I said, I've seen the good, the bad and the ugly. And so I, I definitely want to help people out, avoid those same types of mistakes. I've been, I'm starting my own podcast, Roman, in early 2023, and would love for you to be a guest on that called Spotlight on Speaking, where I have speakers share their speaker journey, what got them into the business, what are some of the key things that they have done or that they feel are keys to their success as a speaker, and then I ask them to bear their soul a little bit and share what they have made mistakes of along the way that they would avoid others not to do. And so I'm, I'm actually recording episodes, and I've been fortunate because of relationships, again, 
you know, some of these big name guys are more than happy to jump on my podcast and record an episode to help me get this thing launched early next year. So relationships, 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 man. Yeah, it's awesome. I think the importance of uh, personal brand development and personal, obviously, branding. I've I've tried to do, uh, you know, focus on it throughout my career because, I mean, being in the digital marketing field and starting an agency, oftentimes all your time is devoted to, you know, promoting a, pro- a product, service, company, brand, so on and so forth. But it's just as important to keep up with your personal brand because being a personal brand, regardless of where you go, if you transition to something else, you'll always have kind of that spotlight follow you if you build enough, uh, a big enough community. So you'll have your, obviously, email list, all your platforms. As you said, you're starting a podcast, which is another avenue, another type of content that you can really do a lot and create a lot of micro content from the main episodes as well. So being and and being uh, personally branded as well is important, especially when people are going into the digital marketing field where, where I'm in. If I'm interviewing somebody for a social media role, I want to see some level of you know personal branding in terms of your social media accounts. If you're going to be running an account for a Fortune 500 company, you're going to have to have some kind of demonstration of of that in the past for other companies, as well as yours showing that you're passionate about it. And it's actually kind of, you know, a chore you undertake to really learn and develop yourself as well. And it's a continued learning experience, obviously. I mean, I've been studying harder in the last three to four months, probably than I studied in the three to four years prior to that. I mean, so studying people like yourself and how they've mastered the craft and what they're doing and why they do it and how what they do, what do they do well, and what do I think I can maybe improve upon. I mean, it's a continual learning experience, and you've definitely got to be open to recognizing that you're not the expert on everything and look at those people that are doing it because they can help you out. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, and I think it's staying in a state of kind of discomfort. So when you kind of uh, become... Uh, complacent, you take your foot off the gas pedal, you stop learning. I often say uh, complacency is the death of innovation. So you really have to keep yourself sharp because in marketing and branding and business, there's always somebody out there that's looking to, I guess, outperform you, know more than you, Somebody that's looking to take what you've, you know, earned or what you're trying to do to, so staying in a state of discomfort is important for me as well. Oftentimes like sports analogies, they say Michael Jordan created his own kind of villains in his mind when he didn't have anybody just to keep that competition level high. Yep. So what's your next great challenge, Roman? What, what, what are you going to do to step out of your state of comfort? Uh, well, I mean, I'm a foster parent, so we fostered in oh, four wonderful. years, 29 kids. So hopefully we're moving into uh, adoption of our son that we've had since birth. Uh, he's a little over two wow. years, and I've been kind of pushing on shows and uh, media publications in terms of foster care advocacy. So changing the, um, I guess, the perception of the foster care system and invoking change, because I, I feel like in every state, the foster care system is uh, broken. And, and seeing it from the foster parent side. So really pushing that and, uh, you know, being an advocate for change in that realm. Well, God bless you for that, man. That's wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. So what's one thing you can leave with the audience in terms of a piece of advice, professional or personal? Hmm. 
I, I think I'm going to just loop on what you were talking about there, and that's not be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone. If you always play it safe, if you always are not willing to extend yourself and, and try things that scare you in some way, then you're never going to grow as a person or an entrepreneur. You got you got to step out the, outside of those comfort zones. When I was the back of the room guy, you know, I was comfortable in that position. I, you know, kind of a a shtick that I had, you know, and when I decided that it was time to get out of just the back of the room and get up on stage, well, that was stepping outside of my comfort zone. Now I'm doing it on the personal branding. So you can't be afraid to take on those challenges and get uncomfortable because that's when you truly grow. Yeah, I agree. And I think also not being afraid to ask, because if you don't ask, you can get a no or a yes. I think people that are coming from kind of a uh, introverted personality, oftentimes they won't necessarily, you know, ask somebody to network or ask if there's a potential opportunity or, you know, pitch themselves or even in, I guess, negotiations for a role or a business dealing, like whatever the, the on paper offer is, they'll just take it and not ask for something different or something additional just to, you know, have a, nav- nav- a negotiation process going. Every time I've negotiated, it's turned out favorably where we came to a more mutual agreement and it wasn't, you know, in favor of the other party. It came more to a middle. Whereas if I just didn't ask, it would be more rewarding for, you know, the opposite party. So not being afraid to ask and not being afraid to get a no, because the worst thing when you ask, you just get a no and that's it. And you move on. Yeah. You definitely got to approach it from the mindset of, they said no, next. I mean, so just keep on moving down the road. Yeah, and I think that develops over time, a thicker skin. You know, in business, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I would have handled adverse- adversity a little bit differently than I do now, or no's, or, you know, uh, a job termination, or you know, having to let somebody go, or, you know, losing a client. When you go through those experiences, it hardens you over time and makes you a better, I mean, human being and a, a business professional as well. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly new to the whole podcast arena, honestly. And when you know the first time I, I went on to Podmatch and somebody and reached out to somebody and they said, you know, no or whatever, you know, we don't think we're gonna book you or whatever, it's like, but how dare you? I have a great story to share. Why would you do that? But you just gotta get over it and go on. So Yeah, I mean it, it depends on the audience, it depends what people are looking for. So you know, eventually you will get no's in life, regardless of what you're doing. So, you know, <laughs> so just true. take it and uh, I guess brush it off as fast as possible. Don't let it phase you and then just move to the next thing. So true. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience uh, know what you're uh, doing, anything you have going on or how they can find you? Sure. So the primary arena that I'm working in now is with aspiring speakers, Folks who have built a successful speaking career, but now they don't, or I'm sorry, they built, they built a successful business, but now they want to launch speaking as a second career. And then, like, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, certainly. And so that's where I'm helping people out now. You can get a great overview at brettridgeway.com, and that's Brett with one T and Ridgeway without an E. And if they go there, they can pick up a copy of a, a free report I have called Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. And I would encourage them to do so. If they think they have a speaking journey story that would be worthwhile to share to aspiring speakers, let me know at either via that site or via spotlightonspeaking.com. And then the new book, How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business, is coming out sometime early next year. And if they want to be notified when that's available, 
It is buildaprofitablespeakingbusiness.com. So thank you so much. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. Have a great one. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.